0: Hosea chapter 2. This morning we are continuing our sermon series we began last week in the book of Hosea. We're looking at the second chapter. If you're using one of the Bibles here in the room, we're on page 985. So I'm, I'm going to read for us uh, chapter 2 verses 9, oh excuse me, verses 6 through the end, verses 6 through the end. I'll read it and then we'll pray, then we'll dig into what God has to say for us. Here we go, taking a look at verse 6 and going to the end. This is uh, one of those Old Testament passages that has lots of imagery in it, lots of interesting stuff. We're going to dig into that as we go through the sermon, but as we do the reading, just hang with me, let's read it, let's absorb it, and then we'll hear what it, we'll uh, unpack it in a few minutes. Here we go. Starting in verse 6. Therefore, I will hedge up her way with thorns, and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me then than now. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for bale. Therefore I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season, and I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lover's. And no one shall rescue her out of my hand. And I will put an end to all her mirth, her feasts, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and her appointed feasts. And I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, these are my wages, which my lovers have given me. I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall devour them. And I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals, when she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with her ring and jewelry, and went after her lovers, and forgot me, declares the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband and no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow for her myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy, and I will say to not my people, you are my people, and he shall say, you are my God. This is God's word. Let's pray, then we'll dig into it. Let's pray. Father God, we pray now that you would open up our hearts, open up our eyes, open up our ears. God, help us to hear what you would have to say to us. God, I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, a weak and broken instrument. pray that you would bring your word to your people now. And God, I pray that it would bring change and transformation. And God, we do also pray for Peace Church gathered on the lakeshore, that you would also bring change and transformation. God, I pray that this morning would be one of those days, those dates that couples who are there look back 10 years from now and say, "That that was a turning point in our marriage. That was a turning point when God intervened and got us back on the right course Or for those who are doing well, God, I pray that it would be just a sweet time of joy that they point to that God did some amazing things and brought some freshness and encouragement. And God, I pray here for us this morning that this morning would also be one of those times, God, where we're called out on our sin and where we see your grace and your mercy to us. We love you, Lord. Pray this all in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen. So did you know that before we were married, My wife was a prostitute, and God called me to marry her. Once said a man named Hosea. Got you all. I see that. I see that. Believe it or not, my wife signed off on that joke. She was ready for that. She knew that was coming. Well, uh, as uh, as we saw last week in the book of Hosea, we're going to see again this week that the prophets don't just tell us truth. They also show us truth. One of the things that the prophets are known for in the Bible is not just speaking words, but demonstrating them. Uh, guys like Hosea, who were called to marry a prostitute, guys like Ezekiel, who's called to lay on his side and cook food over human feces, right? Some gross, crazy, outrageous things that the prophets do in order to make a point for us. And so, in case you missed last week, I want to just reiterate for us uh, where we've been, what the main idea is in the book of Hosea. The main idea of Hosea is this analogy, the analogy of Hosea and Gomer uh, Hosea is the prophet and he is called to marry a prostitute right the holy and the unholy the faithful and the unfaithful right this is this is a wild thing that God would call a man a prophet, one of his speakers to marry a prostitute and you can only imagine the pain that this would have brought for Hosea right he's not just uh, just a, just just a stone speaking God's word right he's a man he's a person. You can only imagine the pain that he went through having a spouse who repeatedly cheated on him, betrayed him. You can only imagine the things said around town. What is he doing with her? Are those kids even really his kids? You can only imagine the pain that he went through as he demonstrated and was a living illustration of some of God's truth. So this seems nuts to us, right? That God would call a prophet to marry a prostitute. That's how crazy it is, right? That's it right there. But we think it's crazy until we realize the point. And the point is the comparison that Hosea and Gomer is just like God and his people Israel. That's the point that God is trying to get across. The holy and the unholy, the faithful and the unfaithful, right? Those who cheat on God with, as the scripture called them, bales, right? Idols. Baal was one of the gods of the nations around Israel, and they would cheat on God with that other God. And unfortunately, not only is that metaphorical for idolatry, it was also literal for the way that they did it. Uh, we know that uh, uh, cult or sec- uh, cult prostitution, uh, uh, having sex in a, in a, in a temple was, was one of the ways that they worshipped pagan gods. So unfortunately, Israel is like the unfaithful wife who cheats on God. With other gods. You can only imagine the pain that this brought to the Lord. That he is perfect. That he loved these people. That he rescued them out of sin. And yet they continually, time after time, go astray from him. It seems crazy that God would do such a thing with those people, Israel. Those people, Israel, way back then. Until we realize the point for you and I not only is Hosea and Gomer a living illustration for God and Israel, Hosea and Gomer is also a living illustration for God and us. We are not too different. That's the ice breaking up. This roof, I'll tell you what, this roof, for, for, for the years that I've been here, it just, man, you can get some wild noises out of this thing. So just uh, that, is, that, is, that is maybe enjoy that as the sound of God just enforcing the thunderous power of his word as, uh, as we listen this morning. I'll try not to, I'm a little ADD, so I'll try not to get distracted myself. Uh, Awesome. So we know that not only were God's people unfaithful way back then, we also know that you and I are unfaithful even now. We may not worship idols of wood and stone, right? But we worship other kinds of idols, whether it be money or power or fame or things, whatever we think will bring us joy other than God. We are not so different from our forebears. So the main idea and the analogy of this book is this, that Hosea and Gomer is a parallel to God and us. And the key takeaway that we had last week in week one of this series was this, that you and I are the unfaithful wife. You and I are the unfaithful wife to a faithful husband. We continue to walk away from God and sin against him and disobey him, even though he continues to run after us. And the question this, this week that we're going to ask as we look at chapter two is this, how does God respond? How does God respond to his unfaithful wife? And we're going to see three answers to that question, three answers in the three therefores. If you've, uh, if you've ever been a, at a Bible study at Peace Church, you probably know the answer to this. What do we do with therefores in the Bible? We find out what they're there for, right? The therefores are key markers in the text. So we're going to look at verses 6, 9, and 14, and we're going to see what are the three answers that God has to this question. And by doing so, we're going to follow the pattern of the prophet and see three images Three images, so the prophets are all about images. So here we go. You guys ready? Here's image number one. Image number one, looking at verse six, is a hedge. Y'all know what that is? You guys got beautiful ones like this in your yard, right? Hedges. Get out the old trimmer. Keep it, keep it trim. All right, here, look with me at verse six. Let's, let's hear what God has to say through this image. Verse six. Therefore, I will hedge up her way with thorns. I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. She shall seek them, but shall not find them. The first image that God gives us is that of a hedge. That when Israel, his people, is going to go astray and try to find other gods to worship, he's going to put an obstacle in their path. And you got to remember that this is in the day before weed whackers, right? You and I look at this and we're like, really? That's an obstacle? That's going to get in my way, right? I'm just going to run, just going to get through this thing. This is in the day before weed whackers, okay? So a hedge got in your way, All right? God says, I'm going to put obstacles in your path when you try to run away from me. And this is something God does out of love. Here's the point. When we are running towards sin out of love, God puts obstacles in our paths, my wife and I started dating when, uh, when we were in high school. Uh, uh, right here in Middleville, had our uh, uh, little small town high school sweetheart romance turned into a, into a marriage later on. But I remember back in high school on Friday nights, one of the things that I loved the most was on those fall Friday nights, you'd go to the football game there in, Mich- in uh, Middleville Stadium. We'd go back to my girlfriend's house and we'd sit around the campfire, us and a bunch of friends and have a great time. And uh, then it'd get to be late at night on this Friday, October evening, nice cool weather, romance in the air, right? And, I, and we uh, sort of make our way out to the driveway where I'm going to get my little 1993 Saturn SC2, cheap little thing, cost $800, and, uh, and uh, get ready to kiss my sweetheart goodbye, right? Right, I'm going to have this, this really sweet goodbye kiss to sort of seal off the night. Uh, uh, and lo and behold, we get out in the driveway, stand there by the car, ready to kiss goodnight, and what happens? The floodlights come on. That's right, the floodlights come on. I've never asked my father-in-law this question. Maybe I'll ask him today. I've never asked him this question, but I imagine that the day he installed those floodlights was the day that we started dating, right? He has them on the barn, he has them on the back of the house, and he has them on the front of the house, okay? He knew, he knew, what, uh, he knew how to look out for his daughter. Uh, great Great advice for you, for you dads. Go ahead. Uh, I'm going to have like 18 floodlights and 18 shotguns. Um, so the floodlights come on, right? And uh, I'm annoyed as a, you know, as a 16, 17-year-old young man, I'm annoyed that I don't get to have the, uh, the goodbye kiss that I was hoping here for from my girlfriend. But at the same time, looking back now, I know that that was my father-in-law and that was God protecting me from things that could have happened, right? God was putting obstacles in my path to protect me from things that would have hurt me, things that would have hurt others, Sin that could have caused destruction in my life. And I'm thankful for that now, even though I was annoyed at the time. At first, it doesn't seem like love when God puts obstacles in our path. And yet, upon further reflection, we see that it is love. Him trying to run after us, stop us. God saying to us, I won't let you go easy, right? I love you. I'm not going to just leave you. I'm going to run after you and try to bring you back to me. God doesn't block our path because he wants to take away our fun. He does it because he knows what's best for us. When you've got a, if you've got a two-year-old two year little kid at home, what do you do when they run for the street? It's okay. you got your freedom. I don't want to impede your freedom. You just have a great time. Just have fun. You know what you're doing. You know what's best for you. You do you. Is that what you say to your two-year-old? No, right? You say, don't do that. And you run, and you usually have to grab him by the shirt, right, and pull him back. The question for us this morning is this, are we heeding the hedge or are we trying to plow through it with a weed whacker? Are you heeding the hedges that God has put in your life or are you trying to plow right through them into sin because you think it looks more attractive than the way that God has laid out for you? Uh, In the last house that I owned um, uh, before moving here to Middleville, uh, we had a house uh, in Hamilton, and between the upper floor and the lower floor, there was a staircase that had oak banisters going down the side of it. And uh, at the time, one of my daughters was uh, two, three years old, and she used to love to just stick her head through the oak banisters... And what happens after that, right? You stick the head through the oak banisters, but for some reason, it's harder to get that back out than it is to get it through. And so there'd be the screaming, daddy, 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 what? Stuck in the banisters again? Okay, all right. Uh, You know, have to push, pull, try to pull her out. But no matter how many times we did that, she would always do it again. I would try to put obstacles in her way, right? I'd say, don't do it. I remember even sort of like tying like some string on the banisters as like sort of a, sort of like, hey, hey, like, you know, think about this. Don't do this. But she would blow right through that obstacle, that hedge. Where is the hedge in your life that God is putting in the way to protect you from sin, and you're trying to blow right through it? If you're a teenager in the house this morning, middle school, high school, do your parents take away that phone at night? I heard it. Amen. We got some parents in the house. They know right? And you hate that. It drives you nuts. And yet that is an obstacle that is put in the way to protect you from sin. Whether you're young or old, do you have covenant eyes or a similar program on your phone to track and give accountability for websites that you go to. You might get frustrated by that. You might be tempted to go around that because it's probably not that hard if you're real techie. If you're smarter than me, and you know how to do it. But don't try to blow past that hedge. They're put there for your protection. Men, maybe it's your, uh, your wife on Friday night says to you, Honey, I think, uh, I think you've had enough drinks tonight. Maybe it's God saying to you, I said that you're supposed to have one day of rest out of seven. One day of rest out of seven. Not just the six hours you sleep at night, but one day of rest out of seven. And you're trying to blow past that obstacle, into sin and destruction? Where is the hedge in your life that you're trying to plow through and where do you hear God calling you away from disobedience and calling you back into a healthy life with him? The second image that uh, the scripture gives us this morning is this. Found out, called out, caught, exposed, nowhere to hide. Hide. The second image that Scripture gives is the image of discipline. Take a look with me at verse 9 and following. Therefore, I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season. I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. It's kind of graphic, painful imagery, isn't it? God takes away some stuff discipline. God exposes her, shows people her sin, makes it clear, makes it obvious, not, doesn't let her hide it any further. He takes away her partying that she's going to go and do. This is some graphic and brutal stuff and yet God takes sin seriously and he does so out of love for you and I because he knows that sin is destructive One of the things that we know about God from Scripture is that God disciplines those he loves. He disciplines his children in order to lead us to repentance and to restoration. That's the point of discipline, isn't it? Discipline, we get called out, we get caught, we get found out. Some pain comes so that we can come to a place of confession, apologizing, asking for forgiveness, beginning to turn away from these things that destroy us and hurt others and disobey God so that we can have received forgiveness, restored relationship, and God will help us walk in his ways instead of away from him. Discipline, repentance, restoration. This is a pattern that God has for our lives to bring us back into walking in the ways of him. You know if you're a parent that the goal of discipline is not to hurt your child, So do what's good for them, right? I know uh, in my house, one of, the, one of the disciplines my kids actually hate the most is the timeout. We put them on, on one of the high, we have four kids and our two littlest ones don't have, can't get off of our high uh, stools from, from the from the countertop and so we'll put them on a high stool that they can't climb down from and then we'll put them over on a, on a part of their house by themselves and uh, they're very social beings and so they hate being by themselves. They whine and complain and cry on their timeout and uh, one of the things that I say to them usually when they're whining and complaining and crying sitting on the stool is I say, I say, I'm putting you in timeout now so you don't end up in jail later later, right? Time out now better than jail later, okay? It's a good lesson, right? Pain is a good teacher. How many times does a little kid have to touch a hot stove? Usually just once, right? Some of our kids are a little extra special, and it takes more than once, but most kids, it only takes once, right? That pain teaches them something, right? They know this is bad. This hurts. Don't do this, the pain of discipline is a good thing. It opens our eyes. It's an impactful event that changes our course. Uh, a few years ago, I had one of these impactful events that changed my course. Uh, I, was in a, I was in a job and in a situation that was very stressful and I believed that I was handling it really, really well. I thought, boy, I'm not lashing out at people. I'm not getting angry. I don't yell. Um, you know, I'm, I'm frustrated and stuff like that. But you know what? It's, it's all right. I'm, I'm doing okay. Uh, I, I find out about myself that I tend to internalize things instead of externalize them when things are going tough. Until one day, my body said, ha, I'll show you. And this is what I looked like. I don't know if you can see this, the comparison here yet. Uh, one day, sitting at Panera Bread, writing a sermon, uh, I, I all of a sudden, I started was like, man, my face feels itchy. I remember looking in the mirror and going, huh, that's not good. And then I uh, walked out to the car and took, uh, took these pictures uh, and sent them to my wife and said, what should I do? I should probably do something right? Um, Where do I go? And then I actually, uh, believe it or not, I went to the hospital and I sat in the parking lot because I said, I'm not going into no stinking hospital. So I sat in the parking lot thinking this will go away. And when I finally stood up, I actually turned blue because my oxygen level had had gotten so low from sitting there so long. Anyways, long story. Uh, uh, Point is that God gives us wake-up calls in our lives sometimes, doesn't he? Sometimes you and I need a wake-up call. We're ignoring all the other signs and God finally says, I'm going to show you. Pastor Ryan said it last week. He said, God sometimes lets us have the fruit of our choices. The fruit of our choices. And hopefully that opens our eyes so that we can see our error and turn back to him. So here's the question for us this morning. Are we hearing the wake-up call that God's putting out to us? How are you responding to the discipline of the Lord? Are you ignoring him Are you getting angry at him, or are you humbling yourself before the signs that he gives you, the warning signs, the corrections, the disciplines to turn back and walk in his ways? What kind of wake-up calls do you have in your life right now? Is it your health? Is it a bodily expression like I had? People often talk about wake-up calls in their lives through health situations. Is it in your relationship? Is it something that your spouse may have said? if you Realize there's a deterioration in the relationship with your spouse? And you say, what is going on there? There's something going on there. Is it the relationship with your kids? Is it the relationship with people at work? Is it your inability to focus at work? What are the wake-up calls that God is putting in your life to point out something that's unhealthy and call you back to walking with him? All throughout the Old Testament, God continues to give wake-up calls to his people Israel. If uh, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know the pattern, right, of of, uh, God's people go astray, they get disciplined, they walk again with God. They go astray, they get disciplined, they walk again with God, right? And they go round and round that circle. And unfortunately, you and I do the same thing. We need these wake-up calls over and over again to call us back from sin and into walking with God. Do you hear the wake-up call in your personal devotional time or your lack thereof? It's God saying, where is your time with me? In the word and in prayer. Got a third image for us this morning. Third image is a little bit happier image. The image of a honeymoon. And actually a second honeymoon. Look with me at verse 14 and see what I'm talking about here. Verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband and you will no longer call me my Baal. So God's bride, Israel, the church, you and I, we've been unfaithful, Right? And what does God do? All right, we've already seen him discipline, but now we see something totally different, totally outrageous that God does. Now he reaches out to her and speaks tenderly to her when we would expect him to shout, wouldn't we? Instead of leaving her, he runs after her. right, look at these words. He says, I will allure her. I will romance her. I will entice her. I'm going to bring her flowers. I will bring her back into the wilderness. I'm going to to say more about that in a minute. I will speak tenderly to her. Take a look at this verse. I will give her vineyards. How many guys got bottles of wine for their wives on Valentine's Day? How many of you bought your wife a vineyard? Right? He won ups us, right? No bottle of wine. I'm going to get her a vineyard, the whole thing. Whereas God's bride is cheating on him and running away from him. What does God do? God books flights, books a hotel, buys a vineyard, and has a second honeymoon. All right? God goes after her, romances her. This is nuts. The wilderness, well, you and I might think, uh, what's he doing? Taking her on a camping trip, a hiking trip, uh, leaving her in the woods? What's, what's going on? I you know, I get that. Uh, No, this is actually imagery of a a honeymoon. All throughout the Old Testament, scripture talks about uh, uh, Mount Sinai as the wedding between God and his people, right? So uh, uh, Israel is in Egypt and they're slaves and sort of God is like the knight in shining armor who comes to the damsel in distress and and the knight in shining armor picks up his bride out of slavery in Egypt and he carries her to Mount Sinai and they get wed and that's where where the Ten Commandments come in and God makes promises to them, I'm gonna love you, I'm gonna be with you, I'm never gonna leave you. And then after that, they go into the wilderness. And the wilderness is like this first stage of their marriage, the honeymoon, the young love period of time. And God says, I'm going to bring them back. I'm going to bring them back to that place. There's a second place that gets referenced in the text here, the Valley of Achor, the Valley of Achor. Uh, It's another place in the Old Testament. It's towards the entrance into the Promised Land. Uh, Israel defeats Jericho, and then they go into the Valley of Achor, and they're camping there, and God disciplines them because he realizes that Achan, one of the the Israelites, uh, has disobeyed God and stolen some, some, uh, some things from Jericho that he wasn't supposed to do. It's a place of sin where the bride betrays her husband, and it's a place of discipline where he has to call her out for her sin. It's a place of pain. And God says, I want to make it now into a place of hope. I want to take that place of pain and make it into a place of hope. Friends, you and I have been unfaithful to God. We've sinned. God, in response to our sin, has not left us. He pursues us. If you're here this morning, it's not by accident that you're hearing these words this morning. If you're running into sin this morning, God wants to run after you and draw you back. God wants your place of pain to become a place of hope. Hear these words. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. No longer will you call me my Baal, the names of the idols. I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land. I will make you lie down in safety. Everything's going to be peaceful and perfect. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. This is almost like a reiteration of the wedding vows, isn't it? We've asked questions in each of our points and images this morning. The question I have for you now is this Are you hearing God's love? We've heard Him call us out in sin, we've heard His discipline. Do we now hear His love, His grace, and His forgiveness for those who would turn from sin and put their faith in Jesus? Do you hear this good news this morning? I want to make sure you hear it, so I want to just give you more of God's word to digest and absorb and hear it through. Earlier in in the passage, we heard God say that he was going to put up walls, hedges, to keep us from seeking and finding our idols. Similar yet opposite, Jesus says something else about seeking and finding. He says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find knock and it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Jesus says, come, come to me. Seek and you will find me. Think of Isaiah 55. God says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come by and eat you hear that? You cannot earn it. You cannot come with your wallet. You cannot come with your works. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come sit at the table. Come dine with me. The call, Isaiah says, is for right now. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. That he may have compassion and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. As we close this morning, I want to invite you to just stand and we're going to respond to God by speaking one more word of scripture. Would you please stand with me? Let's say this one together. This is Psalm 16. We've heard God speak his love and his mercy and his grace to us. Let's respond with these words from Psalm 16 about God. Would you say these with me? Here we go. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father God, you are our joy. You are our pleasure. We love you because you first loved us. Thank you, God, for running after us in our sin. Thank you for Jesus, who lived and died and rose to take away our sins. To him be all the glory, God. We love you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.